Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Platitude Era podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we will be reviewing the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, movie starring Brad Pitt, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and the talented director Quentin Tarantino. This is the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. Synopsis for the movie is a failing Hollywood actor makes one more attempt at being famous or staying relevant. What did you think of the marketing? Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong with a Quentin Tarantino movie. I mean, or like, you know, you see the trailer and you're like, well, I guess I know what I'm doing this day. And the thing about Quentin Tarantino movies, it's that the way he makes its movies, you can take any part of that movie and make a really good trailer. So uh, this was marketed as a ninth Quentin Tarantino film. The trailer had a really good soundtrack. It had those really interesting lines of dialogue that just drew you in. And I don't know what we can say about the marketing because this was not the number one movie this week. It was The Lion King for the second time. And this was the second place, made about $40 million. And, uh, I mean, sure, it wasn't number one, but it still got some uh, accolades. Is that the right word? Because it was Quentin Tarantino's uh, movie with the biggest opening so far? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just, you know, the the summer blockbuster has been painting for a while this this season. So, yeah, I guess audiences were craving something. And uh, moving on to the story now. So the way we talk about movies is we love movies. Not only do we review movies, but we discuss them and and we analyze them. So we start off with the marketing, which is how much it makes you want to see the movie. And then from there, we go on to the story. And uh, I don't know, for me, the story didn't go anywhere. It was just uh, like watching uh, the camera or you were like a fly in the wall following this actor in in the, uh, what, in the 1960s or... Or 1969 so it's right on the cusp of the 70s i guess what you can describe this movie is kind of a slice of life movie because i mean you could argue that most people's lives are uneventful and the bulk of this movie feels like an uneventful day i think one youtuber described it best if you're aspiring to be in the entertainment industry to be an actor or a director maybe more of an actor or work in the entertainment industry then you're going to enjoy the ride, you know, being the fly on the wall and just following the day in the life of an actor. But anybody else, I don't think they're going to be drawn into the story. Yeah, I I can't help but like when I'm bored, I feel like when I'm watching a movie and I'm bored, I feel like I can tolerate the movie. But then I'm like taken out of the movie. And then I kind of like put myself in this like the seat of the audience member who's not like, probably not a regular movie goer who just go every once in a while and like, Hey, Quentin Tarantino, that's supposed to be good. Right. And they're watching this and like, and I was going to do another errand. <laughs> Wasn't there supposed to be like action or swearing or something cool happening? What's going on here? And, and that's interesting that you mentioned that acting and swearing, because before we did this podcast, we were watching Django and we were talking about Quentin Tarantino's, earlier body of work that he was famous for using certain words and it seems like the climate and the way people have changed now that they're more politically correct in in this movie he didn't use those words anymore and it wasn't that um it was still the same style but just the story was more politically correct Uh, i'm curious if like because like i think tarantino's a huge fan like of 1960s 
film or cinema or Hollywood or this kind of era, because when I'm watching this movie, I feel like, boy, he's nailed, he's nailed down um, this era to a T. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, Oh, this is such an accurate mo- mo- like movie. Everything is so, so pitch accurate. I, people from the sixties in LA would be like, wow, this is amazing. That like, I think he wanted to draw more attention to, I guess this specific era or this, these emotions that this, this, period in history brings to him instead of like I don't know I guess like I don't know what race or other like you could argue I guess that it was a the 60s or you know were a big moment for race but I guess that wasn't necessarily the story he wanted to tell so I guess maybe he leaned in heavily on that with Django I don't know if he uh used his specific language in Hateful Eight I haven't seen it in a while but I don't know maybe he's been veering away from it maybe it is the climate maybe uh, it's just not the story he wanted to tell yeah, and uh, kind of hard to get back to people on Hateful Eight. If if you guys know, write us in the comments section, or if you're listening to this, download the Anchor app and send us a voicemail. But um, from what I recall, if you go on Netflix, the Hateful Eight is there. It's the extended cut, and it does feel like a chore. You get to see a lot of the characters' chores. Uh, when the characters veer off from the main story, they're doing chores or what, side mm-hmm. quest? Anyways, we're digressing. Now we talked about the story, our thoughts on the story. Now we're moving on to the acting. Brad Pitt was cool. Um, You see Brad Pitt in some films, and he's just really cool in them. World War Z and Glorious Bastards, and this movie is no different. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt have really good chemistry in this movie. It just... uh, what the story was missing, the chemistry between Leo and Brad, and then just Brad Pitt, whenever he was featured by himself, his coolness was just enough to carry the movie. Yeah, I, I would say that the the film definitely shines more when you're when you either have well, I guess mostly with Brad Pitt. I mean, like Leonardo DiCaprio has his own arc going on, I guess, and it's pretty interesting. But sometimes it feels kind of like a slog. Like, eh, I get what it, I get what they're doing here. Like for the most part, every time I saw Leo on screen, I'm like, oh, this is just like this is just uh, Tarantino flexing his. Uh, knowledge of 60s cinema like because it always like cut away to like oh do you know you could like steve mcqueen was in this movie like yeah i (laughs) i auditioned for this movie and then cutting to them in a forrest gump style like cg special effect where like they put leo in the scene of the movie i'm like okay that's neat i guess but i mean i don't don't know what i don't know what to do with this yeah, I, I only remember watching that movie in, in uh, middle school, but for the feeling I got from the movie theater is a lot of the people are about our age or a little older than our age, a little younger than our age in the movie theater, didn't see that movie, don't know that movie exists, and didn't get the reference. I feel that if we would have seen the movie with an older crowd that was aware of that movie and uh, and the significance of that movie, then they would have been laughing. They would have been like, oh my God, ha ha ha. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this felt like just, hey, this is a, this is a, like, Quentin Tarantino Trivial Pursuit or something. And it's like, here's all these factoids I can list off about movies from the 60s or whatever. And it's like, here's like a trailer from this Joe Namath movie. Here's this like, kind of cool hand Lukey thing with Steve McQueen. I don't I don't know. It's just like, there was like a lot of cut, like, this almost felt like Family Guy or something where there was cutaways to things that like, didn't matter. Or like, hey, here's 1969 movie or 1960s movie, and it's just like, yeah, I'm 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 watching you put this on screen, but I mean, I'm you know, when are we get when are we gonna get to the fireworks factory, you know? 
<laughs> that's putting it family guy cutscenes because there's what there's this one scene that just came out of nowhere and like you can tell there's like a scene missing where uh margot robbie turns to another character and says hey remember the time we went to that 1969 style party yeah there's a lot of like there's like okay because i just want to you know we can talk about that more but i just like it just reminded me remember like there's the one scene like oh al pacino oh i was in my home theater and i had to get a scotch on the rocks and a stogie and we watched old westerns and i'm like i don't care and this doesn't matter to anything and it's just like there's a lot of moments like that in this movie of just cut away to nothing that matters and this is a great transition into the directing i've heard um interviews when quentin tarantino was uh becoming more and more recognized with each movie it was pulp fiction uh jackie brown uh there was this interview where he said oh what i usually do is I imagine these scenes with these characters. I imagine these characters. And then I just write down what they say. And it seems like in this movie, once upon a time in Hollywood, he put a little bit of himself into each character because he, there have been interviews from other actors who are like, Oh, I get invited to Quentin Tarantino's house and we'll watch uh, old movies. He's actually got the film print and we'll watch him in, in his screening room. And that's kind of like what happened with uh, Al Pacino, how, like you mentioned, he goes into a screening room. He prepares a stogie, uh, pours himself a glass, sits down and watch a film print. And it's kind of like, that sounds like what I've heard about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I, I guess he's just too big a fan of this era where he couldn't like separate himself from it. So like, oh, this is what I love about the 60s. But like, you're not bringing like you're like a like a huge fan, like some like weeb nerd like anime fan trying to tell me about like some anime but like they, they haven't like gotten me to dip my toes into it they're just going full force into like the super in-depth nerdy shit and like i i, I can't keep up with you man <laughs> the same bolt i'm not running in a race with you <laughs> and um another thing that's very interesting here is yeah it didn't have the same uh storytelling as other quentin tarantino films but i noticed some layers like for example leonardo dicaprio in this movie plays a part of a character who's a a failing actor and just the way that he portrayed his character like he's worried he's panicking about his career kind of seems like a parallel with millennials today how it's like oh my god i have to grow up now i have to find a job and millennials are panicking about the future did did you notice that or does it make sense to you now I mean, I, I wouldn't have gotten that per se. I, I, I mean, it just seems like a changeover, like kind of the opposite of this guy had a career, but now it's slowly faltering away or like, you know, you, you felt like you were on top and you th- felt like you were destined for greatness or whatever, which I, I guess millennials kind of have some of that mindset of like, you know, they were told they were, you know, is that like the self-esteem movement? They're told they're special, but then they wind up, you know, just being another face in the clowns. <laughs> And and then also there was that scene about hippies. Uh, another uh, film critic talked about this, that they were like, oh, I hate hippies. I wonder if that's another parallel with um, millennials, kind of like uh, millennials are his fans. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm making a movie for you and I'm featuring you in it. You know, uh, in the 1969s, people hated hippies. And then now. The previous generation they don't like millennials because they think you guys whine too much you guys think that you're entitled to everything mm. yeah history goes in cycles i suppose i don't know if it like maybe that's just you know history is written by the victor maybe like the like hippies have become an extreme i don't know if i can necessarily put like millennials in a parallel 
landscape, but sure. Yeah, I just put it in the sense that the way the movie painted, I don't know what hippies are. I don't know what the hippie movement is. But in this movie, there was that constant, oh, I hate hippies because hippies are like this. And mm-hmm. people are just making statements without knowing if it's true or not. And in today times, the the previous generation is complaining about millennials and saying, oh, millennials are like this and millennials are like that without actually knowing for sure. I mean, a couple of problems millennials have is one uh, everyone tells us, hey, man, you got to go to college so you can get a good job. And then we go to college, we graduate, and we find out we can't get good jobs because they want work experience. Well, mm-hmm. I didn't get work experience because I was going to college. I was hoping my college would be my work experience. Yeah, similar mindset. And uh, the directing, I mean, he's got a, Quentin Tarantino has a good eye. He's got a good way of of setting up a shot. Uh, the camera does some really neat movements that just, you know, make you feel like a fly on the wall. But uh, a complaint I did have was that there were way too many filler scenes, scenes that were just in there that didn't need to go anywhere. Like you mentioned the Al Pacino scene where he's like, I poured myself a glass of brandy and he pours himself a glass of brandy. Oh, and then I prepared my cigarette and you see him preparing a, a cigarette. And uh, there were a lot of scenes like that. Do you know another one? I'm trying to think. I'm I'm drawing a blank while the spotlight's on me. Well, but, but I mean, there were I guess, way too many. Yeah, I mean, that's showing how not terribly memorable this movie was. I just like remember getting off of the high of like the start of the movie, like wow, it's like I'm being transported into 1969 LA. This is amazing. And then in the middle, of, like a lot of nothing's happening. A lot of people going here. That I mean, like for like Margot Robbie's a pretty big actress in her own right. And, you know, playing uh, the role of Sharon Tate is, I mean, it's a pretty big role you'd imagine. And essentially that, that movie for her is uh, like, except for watching her make like a deposit at the bank, you pretty much see all of her daily errands. Oh, that's right. Just doing all her chores like anybody else, any one of us. Yeah. Uh, I guess another filler scene or there's two, one you, you told me about. And a second one I'm going to bring up right now. Uh, I'm going to bring up this one that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's, he's working on a, on a TV show. And mm-hmm. then actors take breaks in between shot setups. So there's this break between a shot setup. And you pretty much see Leonardo DiCaprio uh, sit down on his chair, uh, you know, get himself into a comfortable groove on his chair, you know, moving about, pulling out this book, uh, spitting. He's doing all these little like things that aren't required. Mm-hmm. And another filler scene that you brought up was uh, Brad Pitt uh, climbing up on a roof to fix an antenna. Yeah, I, th- there's like, like spe- the specific action of him like going to fix the antenna doesn't matter, but there's like beats within that segment because that like that segment is essentially just like a segue to a flashback to an interesting scene, which I guess would be a spoiler. So I don't know if I want to save it or not. But, you know, it's like to a flashback and it's like, hey, this fla-, like I felt like the movie finally kicked off once that flashback happened. I'm like, hey, this movie's getting good. And then <laughs> I think it went back to like being boring Sharon Tate or something. Yeah, it, it, it lost its momentum. Yeah. Uh, one more thing I have for uh, directing is that there are a lot of Easter eggs. If you've seen every Quentin Tarantino movie, you're going to see references to his previous films in this uh, some of them are going to be a, a bit of a stretch, but if you think about it or don't think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense. What's your recommendation for this movie? Uh, I mean, in a nutshell, if you're a fan of Tarantino, 
probably have already seen it if you haven't. I mean, you're, you're going to go see it if you're a Tarantino fan. But for the general movie-going audience, I, I wouldn't call this... I wouldn't call this Django. I wouldn't call this Inglorious Bastards or Kill Bill. Like the more action-packed, you know, more faster go faster uh, paced movies. This is like a slow burn. And if you, if you're willing to appreciate the the era and how how close to accurate it is, I mean, it might be for you. But I don't think that's enough for the price of admission. Yeah, I feel the same way too. Um, this movie, I, I say skip it if you're a Tarantino fan wait for it to be a rental or wait for it to come out on TV or, or Netflix and, and watch it because I mean, there's not that much here. There, there are things Quentin Tarantino does have a way to tell a story. He does have a way to, to shoot a movie that are, that are, you know, you can pay for the ticket and you won't be disappointed, but it's like, Hey man, I'm trying to tell you, save your money. But then I'm kind of like on the fence because like it has such a like the whole movie's kind of a drag, but then it, it kind of pays itself off in like such a great finale that like, I mean, like seldom do movies make me go like, ooh, and awe and like, you know, get a reaction out of me. But the ending, like maybe because it was like teasing me the whole time where I like I finally got a release, but like the ending kind of like floored me. I was I kind of loved the ending, but I don't know if it's worth sitting through a two and a half hour movie just to get to it. Yeah, which is why I suggest uh, watching it on TV, renting it, or, or uh, but I don't, waiting for the Netflix. I don't Netflix. know if it's going to get censored on TV. It's one of those types. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, what we're referring to, without going into spoilers, don't worry, no spoilers, is uh, kind of in the vein of Pulp Fiction, this movie has multiple storylines. It has the storylines of different characters. And then at the end of the movie, all the, the uh, stories combine at the end. And what's interesting is that I remember uh, in the 90s, the early 2000s, watching movies where you had separate characters and trying to combine them at the end. Uh, critics, as well as myself, noticed that it didn't make sense. It just it was like, OK, you have all these separate stories and you just didn't know how to put them together. But Quentin Tarantino has a gift and he makes it look so effortless. Where it's like, oh, and now all these separate characters come together at the end. And it's like, wow, you did it in a very brilliant way and without any effort. Yeah, I can go by that. I mean, that's uh, the intent of screenwriting is supposed to be, you know, you set things up and then you have them pay off at the end. Tarantino, you know, does that pretty masterfully. But like, if if the rest of the movie was more focused you know, or leading up to it, you know, more cleanly than, you know, it might be a, an even better payoff. Yeah, I guess uh, if the pacing, if he trimmed a, a lot of the filler scenes, took out some of the filler scenes, trimmed some of the other scenes, then it, it would be worth it to watch it in the movie theater for the, the ending. Now we're yeah. getting into the spoiler section. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you know what to do. And if you've seen it, hey, welcome to the spoiler section. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie and don't mind being spoiled, well, uh, hey, guys, I mean, here's something to uh, pass the time while you wait for the movie to come out on rental or Netflix or whatever and and see for yourself what we're talking about in the spoiler section. But beware, spoilers ahead. So uh, how do we do this? I just labeled that spoiler section favorite parts. I, I don't know. Other people really get into a full-on spoiler discussion, but I'm experimenting with favorite parts. I mean, let me think. So the Bruce Lee scene obviously was a great, a great scene. I, th- I guess that that was the the 
that really kickstarted the movie because like hey there's a little bit of action there's some good dialogue going on here and it was it was just brought a bit of lev- levity to a mostly kind of may experience in like what the first hour yeah <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun um you know rest in peace bruce lee he was taken from us way too early and it's just fun how quentin tarantino included him in the scene uh you have this great action scene it's a fight scene between bruce lee and brad pitt and then you just got this humor just brad pitt just you know i i recognize him for earlier in his career as being a dramatic actor and i guess you recognize him from later in his career is just the way that he knows how to work the camera and work in humor. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like I said, back to if the movie was a little more focused. I mean, this, like this segment, it was obviously like a pretty good lead in to like the finale with the, the Manson family, because it's like, Hey, Brad Pitt, like can carry his own. He almost beat the crap out of Bruce Lee. I mean, like you're watching the end and you're like, Oh shit, he's high on acid. How's he, how's he going to deal with the Manson <laughs> family? And then when he handles himself pretty well, like, you know that was that was a sweet tease. Like, oh, he can kick, uh, he can kick Bruce Lee's ass. He like jumped on the roof to fix the the TV antenna. Like, he he's like pretty pretty capable dude. He got away with murder. Like, you know, <laughs> the, the audience shouldn't worry about you know how, how he's gonna handle himself fighting three Manson family members. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess just a way to to let you know, um, this movie exists like Inglorious Bastards exists in an alternate timeline. There's a famous Manson family murders and then Quentin Tarantino puts a spin on it and then just Brad Pitt does this like cool fight scene and 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 he fights the the Manson family and it that's something that you actually do have to see whether it comes out on TV which uh it's going to be heavily edited but when it comes out on video rent that and and watch it for that yeah exactly I mean <sighs> I like I said back to like I think what what helped make the scene feel so rewarding was just how how little there was to grasp onto during the rest of the movie. And um what was that other thing? I know you wanted to talk about something uh I don't know if it was in our recommendation or directing section that you said you wanted to save for the spoiler was that, was that it or was it something else? Yeah, cuz I said the flashback so that yeah, the Bruce Lee, the Bruce like everything with Bruce Lee which which eventually led into the the murder. Yeah, when when I thought you were talking about flashbacks, I thought you were talking about um, uh, when Brad Pitt climbs on the roof, mm-hmm. and then um, he's he's trying to fix a roof, and then he just starts daydreaming. Or you know how you look at something and then you stare well, like, off because he was yeah. So like it flashbacked into like like the conversation he had with uh, Leo, where he's like, "Hey, can you see if I can get on this job?" And then Leo's like, "Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be the guy who did the Green Hornet." And then it flashbacks into like the whole discussion between Leo and Kurt Russell. And then, and then Brad Pitt get like is able to get onto the job and then he, you know, it beats the crap out of Bruce Lee. And then, uh, and then he gets kicked off the set and then like it flashes back to the present. And then like Brad Pitt's like, Oh yeah, that's why I got, that's why I'm not going to work with that guy. <laughs> that there was so much humor in that scene. So you have the flashback mm-hmm. where he beats up Bruce Lee. You got the flashback where he got fired you got the flashback where he says, oh, yeah, that's why I'm not going to get hired. And then don't forget, you had this other flashback within the flashback, which is something that every middle-aged man has wanted to do, which is he's having a flashback of what happened to his wife. Yeah. I get moments like that, which make drew the Family Guy connections. Like, wow, there's like a ton of, you know, just cutaways, even cutaways within cutaways. And this is something I should have said in the recommendation, and I forgot. But it's also... Uh, 
stay during the credits. It's something I, oh, yeah. I want to add. It's whether a movie has something worth staying in the credits or not. And in this one, it, it you have to stay during the credits. Yeah. I mean, like, for people, fans of Marvel movies, you expect something to be during the credits. For a Tarantino movie, you don't expect anything before, during, or after the credits. So it was a nice bit of a, a nice bit of, I, you could almost like see this as a deleted scene, but it was nice that it was inserted into the mid credits. Yeah, because it's um, uh, I don't know if you guys want us to to reveal it or not. Uh, please write down in the comment sections that we well, should we're reveal already in the, the spoiler section. I don't know why why you're being so cagey about it. Oh no, it's just for for future reference. Like, hey, is it okay if we spoil the the post credit or or not? So write it down in the comment section of our YouTube video, or you know, send us a voicemail in the, in the Anchor app. And uh, let us know for future reference. But in this one, I'll let you do the honors. Well, I mean, it's just like a like a ad for Red Apple cigarettes, which is always like a a through line in all of Tarantino's movies is "Hey, Red Apple cigarettes." And it kind of reminded me of like uh, what's it? Orson Welles, like he did this uh, he did this like commercial for wine, and he always kept fucking it up. I mean, <laughs> like Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't fucking up, but just like at the way end. Where, Oh, you know what? Even better. It was like more like a um, like a crusty uh, ad, like in any of Simpsons episodes. It's like, ooh, try the new crusty burger. And then like he takes a bite out of it. And then like, you know, the director says cut and then he spits it out and goes, Bleh! I mean, that's what that's pretty much the parallel with this scene was. Yeah, it just had everybody roaring. Um, hmm. How was the theater when they got to the post credits? I, I don't remember that. That scene was just so incredible. You see Leonardo DiCaprio. And if you're a fan of um. Quentin Tarantino, you know his brand of cigarettes in every movie. So I was just hypnotized by that. And I didn't notice if like there were still enough people there to enjoy that or not. But I, I really heard a loud laugh. I think like half the audience filtered out. But like it, it came up so abruptly, there was like 10 people just like standing right before like, you know, little walkway before you get out the door. Or just like people standing and watching. Yeah. And, so and it was people like activating. Stop what they were doing. I was captivated as well because it's like, OK, you got a gifted filmmaker and storyteller, Quinn Tarantino. And then you got a talented actor, Leonardo DiCaprio, and they're doing a post credit scene. So, you know, this is going to be good. Yeah. And definitely then that, worth the wait. Definitely. That and the third act are the reasons why you should rent this movie. And, um, you know, we're trying to make plans uh, about trying to see if we can watch it in 70 millimeter. We make no promises or guarantees, but we're working on that, even though we told everyone, hey, man, wait till TV or something. But it, it's just something that Quentin Tarantino is a is a big fan of uh, of certain format of movies, 70 millimeters. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's something that we're interested to see what that format is. We've done it before. We we've never seen an IMAX movie, but we saw Mission Impossible. Uh, which one was it? The, the la- latest one? I forgot what Fallout. the title is. Oh, Fallout. Fallout. Yeah. We saw Fallout and IMAX just because we heard references or recommendations saying, hey, you got to see uh, Mission Impossible Fallout and IMAX. That's the way you got to see it. And we saw that movie and we've never seen a movie in 70 millimeter print. We we missed our chance to see Hateful Eight just because a lot of theaters had to be retrofitted to show 70 millimeter. And we're hopefully we'll get a chance to see it as well in 70 millimeter and I mean, sure, it's going to be a chore to sit through everything, but hey, that third act and that post-credit scene, you know, it's enough to to call us in. Yeah, reasonable enough. I'll just take a couple of naps during the second act. Ooh. I'll, like, go to sleep after the first 30 minutes and then wake me up in a couple of hours. 
Yeah, because because you've done it before. I forgot uh, which movies we tried to see before, and you fell asleep in them. And and we tried to watch them in in IMAX, and you fell asleep. One of them was Gravity, correct? Yeah, I think the other one was Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and in your defense, there were really late showings, and we had to drive for for hours to get to an IMAX theater. Yeah, and then uh, this section's called Easter eggs. Just we pretty much put everything in there. Like if it's an omelet. Uh, the first thing, it's just that song in the trailer. It's not in the later trailers, but in the teaser trailer, the first trailer for the movie. And it's just stuck in my head right now. And it's probably stuck in some people's head. It's called Bring a Little Lovin'. And then there's references to other Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays a Nazi character. So that's a reference to Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Uh, mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio is a famous cowboy so that's a reference to Django Unchained and Hateful Eight then you got his other movie which was uh, Death Proof a grindhouse movie so you got Kurt Russell playing the stuntman again and you got Zoe Bell who was a stunt actress in in that movie well she's like in all of his movies she's in all of her movies but in in the the movie Death Proof she played a stunt stunt woman Mm mm-hmm and then you have the multiple storylines, which is similar to Pulp Fiction. Uh, anything else that uh, you wanted to add into this section? Nothing uh, comes to mind. I don't. I don't. I don't know. It felt pretty cut and dry. I don't know if there's any like, hey, look at, hey, subtle nod. Uh, what about any songs? I probably should have done this during the music section. Was there a song that that you liked in the movie that you're like? Hey people, if you want to know what the name of this song is, or hey, check out this song. Well, like it does one of those things where hey, there's a soundtrack for the for the movie, but like not all the songs that were in the movie are on the soundtrack. I think it was like "Burn" by Deep Purple is one of them. There's like some other songs probably, but like you know, some like hey, this is like because there's like segments in the movie where like it's just a, someone driving like up and down, you know, downtown LA or whatever Hollywood, Northern Hollywood or whatever, and just like. Oh, he was like playing three, four, five songs in a row, like little <laughs> little vignettes or whatever. And like, hey, that's a pretty good song. Hey, that's a pretty good. Hey, that's a pretty good song. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I have yeah, to so, look it up on Wikipedia or something. Just like, what were all the songs? Yeah. So one more time, uh, that song that that was in the teaser trailer, the first trailer, and that's also in the movie "Bring a Little Lovin'" by the band Los Bravos. And then there's that other song that goes dun 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 dun. I don't know if it has a cool guitar intro or a bass. Like straight intro. shooter, Mamas and the Papas. Yeah, I think that's what that is. So that that's another yeah. good song that you guys should check out. It's I got... one of the rare instances where the songs in the trailer actually make it into the movie. Yeah, and and they just fit in the movie and they fit in the trailer. It's enough of a hook to get you in it. I think mm-hmm. uh, the people, the marketing people that do the Tentrino movies, just have so much fun. They have so many things to work with. It's like probably like a, a like a Lego set, building a Lego or something. Yeah, I wonder how much of a hand uh, Tarantino has in the actual marketing of the movie. That's a really good question because I know you sent me uh, an interview of Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. from uh, Nerdist, or I don't know if it's now called ID Ten T. It was probably back when it was Nerdist. And Guillermo del Toro said the way the industry works is you film your movie and then somebody takes it away from you, your movie, and gives it to a marketing guy and, and the marketing people do their thing. But, you know, Quentin Tarantino is a big enough force now. He's done. He has his own crowd. He, he People are drawn to him. 
that he probably has enough of a voice that that would be interesting if somebody could research that for us and let us know in the comment sections of our YouTube video or, you know, send us a voicemail in the anchor app. Uh, let us know. Uh, another thing I have here in the, I don't know if it's an Easter egg or a trivia that the original script was about uh, detectives investigating the murder of Sharon Tate and Brad Pitt was supposed to be one of the characters that was an investigator, but uh, Brad Pitt, declined so quentin tarantino had to rewrite the story and it's what we got today about two actors uh or an actor struggling to to uh stay relevant in hollywood and there's this one scene in the movie where brad pitt is investigating something and it's kind of like i think this was in the original script Mm -hmm. yeah it plays off very much i don't know it's kind of suspenseful yeah you could imagine him playing like a private detective or whatever I mean, he doesn't really find any clues. He just walks inside a building. Yeah, well, since we're in the spoiler section, uh, and if you guys have seen the movie and you want to know what we're talking about or haven't seen the movie and are just curious, uh, the scene is called, I don't know what the scene is called, but uh, the location is called Spawn Ranch, where they filmed westerns. And Brad Pitt shows up, and then you have all these mysterious women just appearing out of corners, appearing out of the darkest places. And Brad Pitt is asking for the owner of the of the ranch. And they just give him this really weird answer like, uh, oh, you know, he's not here or he's sleeping. But the way they say he's sleeping is kind of like, oh, he's dead. But, you know, mm-hmm. like like taking a long nap or something. And he's investigating and, and he's doing more research. And you're like, oh, my God, Brad Pitt is outnumbered by all these angry women. And you know something's going to happen to Brad Pitt. And you can just feel, what, the hair on your arms and the back of your neck standing? Yeah, it, it definitely had a lot of suspense. It almost started leaning in towards, like, horror territory. But, like, you're watching Hills Have Eyes or something. Yeah, and, like, oh, something's going to go down. But then it, it just winds up leading to absolutely nothing. It, it just mostly. set up, like, a, like a really funny scene. Because we were watching Django, and it was the same actor again who pretty much... I don't know. I guess he's really sick and Quentin Tarantino feels bad for him and tries to put him in his movies because he doesn't do much. In in Django Unchained, he was sitting down and he delivered a few lines. In this movie, uh, what's that term? When like an actor delivers a role sleeping, he's pretty much lying on his bed delivering his lines. I didn't know there was a term for it. Yeah, because I remember uh, I was listening to a review for... Um, I think it was a movie called New Year's where it was like a bunch of different uh, characters celebrating New Year's. And they talked about, oh, uh, Robert De Niro slept through this, his role or, or s- delivered his role, s- his, his line sleeping literally because he was on a bed the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I guess it doesn't matter anymore because that's a really old movie nobody cared for. But that was a really funny joke when I heard a reviewer say that. And then well, just the... I, I heard like just originally it was supposed to be played by uh, Burt Reynolds, but he died before they were going to, you know, shoot, shoot his scene. So, I'm, I mean, he was probably pretty up there in age. So I don't know, maybe maybe him lying in bed all day was the original plan for Burt Reynolds. And uh, ding, 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 you got an extra bonus Easter egg in that. Um, yeah, I think that was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. And uh, he just had this um, he was known as like this tough guy, you know, who didn't take shit from anyone. So I felt like the scene was going to be played up for more comedy because Burt Reynolds is supposed to be like a like a man's man with a nice mustache, the hairy chest, would have mm-hmm. delivered some funny lines like, hey, what the hell's wrong with you, Brad Pitt? I'm trying to sleep here and you're you're bothering me and making a lot of noise. 
And then uh, also, uh, if you've seen the movie, but you're not a big fan of Quentin Tarantino and you're scratching your head and saying, why are they making a big deal about these cigarettes? They're not Marlboro or anything. They're called Red Apple Cigarettes, and they appear in every Tarantino film. Do you remember if they were in Inglorious Bastards? Uh, I mean, they were smoking in that movie, but I don't know if they made like specific mention of Red Apple. I know in, uh, in this movie, they did make a reference that tied to a previous Tarantino movie. I was wondering if it's Django or hateful eight where they said, Oh, before uh, red apple used to sell you a pouch and you had to roll your own cigarettes. Now they're factory made. So I think uh, there was a previous Tarantino Western movie where they they don't mention red apple, but they, they got a little pouch and they're rolling up a cigarette. Mm. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I had a lot of fun discussing the movie. I'm, I'm out of notes. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. Uh, I just, I had a, I don't know, maybe this should have been saved before the, uh, before the spoiler section, but I just had a thought, like, where would you rank this amongst your Tarantino, like, favorite Tarantino movies? Ooh, um, let's see, definitely at the top would be what, Pulp Fiction would be the first one? Yeah, it's kind of no contest for it, right? Yeah, and then I don't know how to rank, uh, Django and, um... Inglorious Bastards, because those are really high, too. I'd put probably Inglorious Bastards next, for me personally. Yeah, for me, you could switch them, Inglorious and Django. They could go either or. You can switch them. Um, Maybe then the Kill Bills? Ooh, the Kill Bills are also really good. I guess those Kill Bills would go under uh, Django, and Inglorious Bastards would be the Kill Bills, because, you know, they got... Um, action and they got drama and, and they're just fun to watch too um then you got jackie brown you got reservoir dogs after that how many is that that's three four five seven then this mm-hmm. one and we're missing one more uh, oh death proof oh i don't count no i don't think anyone counts that one oh, I, like yeah. i was looking at his filmography like you could put four rooms or you could put like from Dust Till Dawn or, you know, uh, Death Proof or Sin City. I don't think those ca- like count on his like list of movies. I think it goes in order. Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think those other projects count as like a film by Tarantino. Yeah, because I'm just going based on I, they advertise this as his ninth film. Yeah. So I'm just thinking of his nine movies where he's, he's prominently advertised. Does that mean that this movie would be ranked last for me? Because I, I would guess. rank this below Reservoir Dogs. And would that's pretty low below, on my list. Below Hateful Eight or Jackie Brown? Because I consider those as lesser movies. Oh, man. That's, that's, that's very hard. Yeah, I would rank Hateful Eight low. Jackie Brown low. And then Reservoir Dogs is above those two. But then this one, you know, I feel bad because you got Leonardo DiCaprio with Brad Pitt, really good chemistry. You got Brad Pitt. That's that's a very cool character in this. Um, that's very tough, but I know it would be ranked really low. Um, For me, it like I base my criteria on what, do, what would I most most want to watch more before the other ones. And for me, I think I'd rather watch this one above like Reservoir Dogs, Hateful Eight, or Jackie Brown. I put it, I put Hateful, or I mean, I put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood above those three for me personally. 
You would put it above, and then I would put it below. But I'm I mean, thinking. it's been a while since I've seen any of those. So maybe if I revisit them, I might be have a like a rekindled interest in them. I don't know. Well, that's that's hard because I know a lot of people didn't like Jackie Brown. They mm-hmm. they didn't find it one of his strongest films. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, for me, it's a little higher than Jackie Brown and Hateful Eight, just because that's the one that started his style and it had some iconic scenes. It had that blend of using music in the movie effectively and the music kind of told the story instead of just having, Oh, we got to put this song in the movie cause it's cool. No, it, it made sense having the music there. And then you have that iconic scene that just made a lot of people squirm, which was the, uh, the cop scene tied down to a chair. So Start I have in the middle with you. Yeah. So I have reservoir dogs higher just because so much cultural significance and just because it's what started it all. But this one, it did take a long time. And I, you know, I, there were, points where there were times where I felt like oh my god this is really long compared to Jackie Brown and Hateful Eight where I didn't it didn't feel that long and it felt like uh uh like you were following a a straight line oh the story's moving the story's moving in Hateful Eight the story's moving the story's moving Jackie Brown but in this one you don't know where the story's going and then you finally get to the end you're like, oh my god, oh, it's so much fun! But it was a really long ride to get there. It's like a like a roller coaster. I would describe this movie as a roller coaster where you're going up, 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 up the hill, and it takes forever to get to the very top, and then you drop down, and then that's it. It's over. That's a fair, fair assessment to make. Yeah, I, I would just probably, I don't know. I feel bad ranking it as as uh, number nine on Quentin Tarantino's films. Well, I mean, if that's your list, that's your list. Maybe after repeat viewings, maybe it might bump up. But I mean, yeah, there, there's so much downtime in this movie. And like one scene doesn't totally redeem it. Yeah, because what helped me is when you said uh, ranking them as what would you see again? I would definitely see Inglorious Bastards multiple times. I would see I know I really like Pulp Fiction, but because mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times, I wouldn't see it again right away. But you know, I've I've seen it so many times. Um, then you got Django, which we saw, and I've been waiting a long time to see that one. Uh, Kill Bill, haven't seen those in a while, but I do remember enjoying them and not thinking that they're going too long. I mean, Volume Two did seem like it went on for a while. You had this one scene where it, it didn't make sense. It was uh, Uma Thurman goes to Mexico, and you had the guy from the Dos Equis commercial saying, oh, I was uh, Bill's uh, stepdad, and like I noticed this and this about him, and it goes on and on. I took him to the movies, and that didn't make sense. That was, a, that, that was like one of those moments where you felt like, oh, this is going on forever, and you're checking your watch. Mm-hmm. I remember watching Jackie Brown, and, and I did enjoy that movie. Uh, Hateful Eight, it did feel like a long film, but it felt like it was going somewhere. And in this one, it, it didn't feel like it was going somewhere. I mean, there were, there were points in, in this film or scenes in this movie where I was ready to go to sleep. And uh, the only reason I would see this movie again is just to watch it in 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. But I don't think uh, when it does appear, what, six years or six months from now, sorry, six months from now to a year on Netflix, I don't think I would, hurry up to to watch this again be like oh i remember this i think it would just be like some weird circumstance why i would want to see this again if there's like somehow like an edited down version or 
somehow like a director's cut version, even though technically this shit is a director's cut, but if it's like a re-edited version to, you know, either be a little bit quicker in pace or edited down or whatever. Yeah, then it seems to make it flow better. I, I would watch Sharon it again. Tate a personality. <laughs> I, I would watch it again, but I'm still waiting for the uh, the audience version of um, The Watchmen. Zack Snyder's Watchmen, the mm-hmm. audience version where you got uh, all your favorite scenes, the Dr. Manhattan short film, the, the Rorschach investigation, the Rorschach in jail, and, and we never got that. Mm. And you said uh, you would rank this above Hateful Eight and Jackie Brown? Well, luckily Jackie Brown is coming to Netflix one in August, I think beginning of August, so I, I can have a chance to rewatch it, but because I think I don't even think I've actually seen Jackie Brown in its entirety. I think I've seen bits and pieces. I don't know how long ago. So it's at the bottom of my list, but only because I I have nowhere no jumping off point for it. But like maybe because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the freshest movie, it's I bumped it up a bit higher. Like Hateful Eight, I don't have any interest in watching. I guess because I I know what the twist is at the end of that. So like eh, you know I don't <laughs> need to watch it. Reservoir Dogs. I, I have it low, but I think I'm just like, I bet the dialogue's great, but I just think to myself, oh, the whole movie takes place in a warehouse. Why, well, you know, boring, not that interesting. But I bet if I rewatch it, I'd be thoroughly entertained by it. So yeah. I, have, like, I have it above those three, but just kind of based off of like a, a snooty attitude towards like, those other ones seem boring. <laughs> and And when you do watch Reservoir Dogs again, you're going to have a lot of fun because the opening scene is some of the greatest dialogue in, in movie history, mm-hmm. which is they're talking about Madonna. And then you got the middle of the movie, which is the cop trying to investigate the, the bank robbers. And then it's just funny how these criminals are very smart on top of their game, but they're completely oblivious to the obvious cop. You know, you even have that one scene and I'm just exaggerating here for comedic effect where like the cops tape recorder on his chest, is malfunctioning and like nobody notices. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's probably even taking pictures of like the bank robbery on the diagram. Yeah. And like the leader of the gang is like, "Oh, do you want me to stand closer so I can appear in the in the picture?" <laughs> and then you just got that ending, which uh, it's funny how movies used to end in the endings. They would just they would just end abruptly because it, it ends with a shootout, and then it just. That's it. And then in today's times, people are like, yeah, but we want the aftermath of after the shooting. Yeah. How many? Well, I guess, I don't know. Maybe audiences aren't willing to, to go by, like, to go along with it. But, like, you know, if you end a movie abruptly, then, then like, you assume that, like, the director copped out or they didn't know how to end it. So they just, you know, cut to black. I don't know. It was an artistic choice back in the 90s, but maybe nowadays it's just seemed as lazy. Yeah. And I think we're, we're due for that. I think uh, somebody should should make another movie and have like a really good oh hey what if a john wick movie ended like that you know you had this really cool uh shootout scene and then it just ends well i mean hopefully like for a decent enough movie where you like you can make the assumption like well yeah that was a satisfying conclusion for this character i wouldn't mind it and cutting to black but if it's like a standalone movie that's kind of up its own ass and it cuts to black then you're gonna piss off your audience me included <laughs> so for example john wick 3 if it just would have ended after like uh like the shooting in in the or, or the fight scene in the building 
where like the the guy from Iron Chef, I'm just like you, and John Wick kicks his ass, and then it just ends. It's like, well, I defeated all the bad guys. If it if John Wick three didn't feel like it was setting purposefully setting up for a John Wick four, then I'd be satisfied, I guess, with that ending. Like, oh, he finally met his match. He he kind of came out on top, but it took everything out of him or whatever. You know, that's a satisfying enough conclusion. Yeah. Um. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our exciting uh, podcast here. Not only did we talk about and review Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we also talked a lot about uh, Quentin Tarantino and his other body of works because, hey, we're big fans of the movies and we can't shut up when it comes to our favorite topic movies. So if you're watching us on YouTube, click on any one of our videos in our channel and enjoy another podcast where we go in-depth about the movies. And if you're listening to us on the go... Thank you for listening to us on Spotify or Anchor app. Listen to another one of our podcasts where we do full-on discussions about um, movies. Uh, follow us on social media. Uh, hopefully one day we'll be better at replying to people on social media and posting more stuff. But uh, I'm not a social media guy. What about you? No, but I guess that's part of the business is you have to be. Yeah, it's it's funny how many new shows I see where people are like, oh, I'm reporter Dallas Reigns, and then here's my social media handle on the bottom. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone giving a shit. <laughs> but somehow they do because they keep It rained it. the other day, Dallas. What's your problem? Well, it's just, I just report it. Don't kill the messenger. <laughs> hey, guys, when you're right 70% of the time, you're wrong 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to end this with a quote. I think we should uh, mention our favorite quotes from the movie to end our podcast. I'll let you go first. I I love how you set up a segment that nobody knew was coming and you throw it right to them as if they're expect- they expected it, but okay. Uh, from the movie. Um... Well, there's only two and they were in the trailer. Oh, there were? Well, maybe for you. Who, who's to know from? <laughs> hey, here's, here's mine. Hey, I remember you. Because I'm hoping you'll say mine, and then I can just end it. I don't. I, I can't read your mind. You, only you can assume that I'm reading your mind, and you're wrong. Let's say 117 percent of the time. Well, when I was watching the movie, I kept hearing this quote, and I'm like, "Oh, you can make a drinking game out of this. Every time they say this line, take a shot." Hmm. Still don't know what you're talking about, so you better say it. All right, so uh, do you want to see a quote as well after I'm done? I did. I remember you. That I know you. I don't... Yeah, when he, when he re... Like, like you know, the Manson family breaks into his, ha- his house and it's like, hey, I remember you because he went to Spawn Ranch to meet the Manson family. Oh, man. You just embarrassed me in front of our audience. I claim to be the biggest Quentin Tarantino fan and you said something that I didn't well, recognize. Well, I mean, how many memorable lines were in this movie? I don't remember nothing. Well, there was maybe one. something the Italian wife said. If I could speak Italian, maybe they're there. I would quote that. <laughs> there, there's one that I really want to say, but, you know, I guess the government monitors you and they're going to take it the wrong way. So I'll mm. just say this other one, but I'm going to have to censor it because, you know, YouTube hates when people swear really hurts your um, your uh, what is it? AdSense or your marketing. I think that's only if you swear in the first 30 seconds. After that, you're clear for takeoff. Oh, cool. So once we get a bigger audience, guys, we're not going to let YouTube censor us. But uh, here goes. Quote from the movie, and you should apply this to your life. Anytime you feel down, anytime you feel sad, anytime you feel like things aren't going your way, just say this to yourself, and it'll pick you right back up. Hey, 
You're Rick Bleepin' Dalton. Don't you forget it.